Welcome to the Humble Hoof Podcast. My name is Alicia Harlov. This is a podcast for both horse owners and hoof care professionals, offering discussions into various philosophies on the health of the hoof and soundness of your horse. Please check us out on Facebook or at thehumblehoof.com. This year, I've been watching a lot of Wendy Murdoch's Webinars with Wendy, a webinar series she put on during the pandemic to connect with people and help get continuing education out there for horse owners and equine professionals. She even asked me to do a webinar myself, which I did in early November, on the horse owner's role in hoof rehab. So if you don't want to listen to every podcast episode I've done, I condensed a lot of the information into a webinar and you can find it on Wendy's YouTube channel. After watching other webinars with Wendy, I reached out to her to see if she would answer some questions for me about surefoot pads on the podcast. I've been intrigued by surefoot pads for years, ever since I saw them at Equine Affair in Massachusetts. I recently was able to get a half physio pad and have been playing with it with some client horses and reached out to see if Wendy would be willing to talk with me about the ins and outs of these pads and how they help horses. So I obviously know you more from the surefoot balance pads, but I don't know a lot of your history before creating those and using them to help horses. So can you tell us a little bit about how you became interested in, you know, horses posture and their movement and, you know, how that ended up developing into the pads? Sure. So just so you know, I had a horse on my first birthday cake. And um, when I was a little kid, all my birthday parties were at the local stables. So, you know, when this started, probably in the womb. <laughs> um, my, but I don't come from a horsey family. Um, my family, my dad had ridden a little bit in the war, but because he had to. And, you know, we weren't a horse family, but they recognized my passion. And so my parents would take me to a local hack stable or, like I said, have pony rides for my birthday. And then I finally had, uh, my mom gave me riding lessons when I was 11. And I then later bought a horse at 14. I came home and told my mother I bought a horse. That was a little bit of a shock. Um, so, you know, horses have been in my life. I can't escape them. They, they are my life. But Surefoot really started because of a, a happy accident. And it's the second time an accident has totally changed my life. And the first time was in 1984. So I went to University of New Hampshire, got a bachelor's degree in animal science, and then I went to University of Kentucky, and I was getting my master's degree in equine reproductive physiology. But at the time, I was also managing an event barn, and we brought these five horses up from Georgia, and I got on one that was a known rearer, and he reared up, hit me in the face, second time, flipped over, and then rolled over me and punched my femur through my hip socket. So instead of being an event rider, which I thought was what I wanted to do, um, I wound up in the hospital and had to have surgery. So while I was in the hospital, somebody gave me a Linda Tellington Jones newsletter. And I realized that I had to get to a team clinic. And so a year after the accident, I met Linda. And she had studied with a person named Dr. Feldenkrais. Dr. Feldenkrais was an engineer and a scientist. And he created what's known now as the Feldenkrais method, which is his name. Um, which is, we all agree, is a terrible name, but it's his name. So that's the name of the work. And Dr. Feldenkrais was interested in helping people achieve their potential. And he studied all kinds of philosophies and psychologies and realized that you can't think a thought without a movement. You can't think a thought without a movement. And 
you know, those movements could be as subtle as moving your eyes or breathing, you know, but we have movement associated with thought. And when I met Linda, she had studied with Dr. Feldenkrais and combined his information with her horse knowledge to create the Tellington Jones Equine Awareness Method. And so that was the newsletter that somebody gave me while I was laying in the hospital bed. I read that. I got to a workshop with Linda a year after my accident. And I learned about the Feldenkrais Method and about Linda and studied with her extensively from 85 to 92 or 3. Um, but at my second clinic, I met Sally Swift. And it was in uh, Washington, Connecticut at Kim Wallace's place because she was going off to Australia to go to the World Equestrian Games and eventing. Um, she had been working with Sally Swift, and so she had Kim had Linda come in and Sally come in, and I left my um, I was in graduate school and had finished my master's and was starting on a doctoral degree in equine biomechanics. <laughs> um, and I drove up there and I met Sally and worked with Linda and. The funny thing was that way back then, you know, I finished my master's and I wanted to look at biomechanics and uh, Dr. James Rooney was one of my advisors. He'd written a couple of books on biomechanics and I took a tripod up to this workshop at Kim's and I put dots on horses and I had them move in front of the camera. And then after we did some work on them, I had them move again. So, you know, my thoughts about looking at movement stem all the way back to kind of this period when I was in graduate school and had my accident met Linda and started looking at, at things and was trying to figure out a, a PhD, which was either going to be studying the horse's spine or navicular, but, you know, I, I was interested in movement then. And so it's the only course I ever failed. <laughs> it's the only course I've ever gotten an F in because I went back to university and all, all I had at the time was, okay, you have to remember, this is 1986, not sure you were alive then. <laughs> and the the Mac computer, the Apple, you know, the little one had just come out. But to record the movement of the horses, you had to hand digitize, meaning you would move the video a frame and then you'd take a pen and you'd have to touch each one of the dots that you'd put on the horse to record it into the computer and then you'd move the frame and do it all over again. So you had to hand digitize all of your data points. Well, by that point, I was realizing that I wasn't sure I wanted to spend the rest of my life in cement walls, that I was more and more interested in what Linda was doing. I was, you know, just ready to leave academia. So I quit. <laughs> I never finished that course and I got an F. But I'm still doing what I was doing back then. I'm still looking at origins movement and looking at the change in movement. So I think yeah, I have to say that my interest in biomechanics all goes back to my graduate degree and working with James Rooney, who, you know, he, he had some interesting theories and he was, like I said, he was my advisor for my master's and I was going to get a doctoral with him. And while I think that some of his concepts have been you know, disproven because he was coming at it from a mathematical perspective, he still was one of the four forerunners of understanding biomechanics and horses. And he was a really neat guy. I mean, he was a fabulous advisor. I remember him coming to visit me in the hospital. And he he was just a really great human being. And I really enjoyed him. And so I think that's probably how I got interested in all this stuff is way back then. Yeah, that's actually I, I didn't know that you knew him. And I only know him know his name from 
Pete Ramey and, you know, Pete has referenced him in regards to navicular and how biomechanics can influence navicular. And so I've like used that name, like, you know, I'll say like, oh, Dr. James Rooney in, you know, 1974 or whatever, uh, talked about this and that. And I didn't realize, like, I guess I never thought about like who might have worked with him. So that's really cool that you, you worked with him and knew him. Yeah. And, you know, I have to tell you this. So he was, <laughs> he would, he loved the performing arts and he would, he had a really great voice. I have such an image of him standing in front of the classroom. And I can't remember it because I was taking his course, right? In biomechanics um, as one of my, well, one of my coursework classes. And I don't know what I said, but he chucked the chalk at me. Like I whizzed past my <laughs> He was a character. He was such a character. And then during Rolex, when, you know, the three-day event in Lexington, a horse died on course. And I remember doing the post with him because the horse went to Kay for a postmortem. And I can remember being with him and he just showed me how it, you could take a knife and just literally slice the front leg off because there was no bony attachment. He was, he was a really fascinating guy and he was so animated. And, you know, sometimes you run across teachers that really inspire you just because they're such good teachers. And I think Dr. Rooney, that's, you know, I hadn't thought about that in so long. You're bringing up really old memories. So that's, that's probably what really kind of pushed me down that track because I wanted to be his graduate student because I really appreciated him as a person and, you know, had had him as a mentor. And, and I think that that's really, you know, the combination of, of having a really severe accident where I was now so compromised. Meeting Linda Tellington Jones, learning about the Feldenkrais method, learning there was another way to work with horses, and, and also knowing Dr. Rooney, that was all that period of time in my life. And, you know, when I look back now, that was such a pivotal moment. You know, sometimes our, the accidents that happen to us, and I've known this from the moment that the accident happened, that it was horrific, okay? I bruised three inches of sciatic nerve. I was in traction for 10 days. I, you know, couldn't walk um, for six months without, you know, I was on crutches and, and I'm still improving that scar. Um, this is 30 something years later, but I knew from the time that it happened that, it, that this was a sign to go any different direction from the way I was going. And it has led me to incredible things. And it led me to Surefoot, you know, which was another 15 second happy accident. Well, experiment that occurred in 2012. So you know, we, I think sometimes we, when we have adversity, we look at the negative side of it. And, oh, you know, it's so awful. But if we can flip that around and look at the opportunity that it presents, because we would have kept doing the same thing if something hadn't interceded. We would have just kept doing the same thing because it was easy. And when we are dealt some adversity, it forces us to go, you know, okay, that path isn't working. There's a huge boulder in the way. What direction can I go? And I think that with the pandemic, that's part of what it's all about is it's, it's adversity, but it gives us opportunity. And the more we can look at the opportunity, the less we are overwhelmed by the adversity. Well, it looks like, obviously, you know, it brought you in this really amazing direction, like you said. And I did actually, um, I reached out to some hoof care friends and asked them what they would like to hear about from you. And so I'm going to, I think I'm going to start with a big question and I was trying to make it more specific and, and wean it down a bit, but 
it is still like a very broad question, so I don't know how you you'll want to tackle it. But uh, what are it's some okay. <laughs> uh, what are some of the common problems that you come across in horses um, that you notice might uh, affect their posture or their movement or their soundness that we might not necessarily recognize as problems? Well, okay, so I, you know, after messing with Surefoot for eight years, I've come away with with one major conclusion that behavior is a balance problem, that behavior problems are balance problems. So as a hoof care provider, if you're dealing with a horse that is having a behavior problem, can't stand, he pulls his leg out from your hand, you know, he fusses, all those things, we have to look at that not as behavior, but as balance. Because when the horse is feeling balanced and secure, the behaviors go away. And I just saw a post come across my feed on Facebook yesterday where a woman had an 18 hand warm blood and he he was really struggling with the farrier and the farrier was struggling with the horse and so the farrier told her you know about these surefoot physio pads and why don't you get some and she got the physio pads and the horse stood quietly and she calls them the magic squares <laughs> um and so you know it was like I mean, that just came across my feed yesterday. I don't know this person. I never taught her how to use it. I mean, obviously, we have lots of instructional information out there. But that solved a major problem, which can be so dangerous to the hoof care provider. And this was actually when, you know, we started doing Surefoot. We, we just have the regular 10 by 12 by 2 squares, right, rectangle. And then um, Brad and I, Brad's my guy, he and I, he's the designer in a lot of this stuff. He and I went, you know, we want to do something to help the farriers because if the horse is, is comfortable, everybody's going to be safer. And that's our primary focus was how can we make it safer for the hoof care provider, for the horse, for the horse owner, because if the horse is acting up, the poor owner is getting, you know, like, what do I do? He won't come back because my horse is misbehaving. But we have to look at why is the horse misbehaving? And it, it comes down to comfort. If they're sore and you pick up one leg and now they're trying to balance on two sore feet and one that might be okay, they're going to misbehave. And so, you know, I think that it's for hoof care providers, if you get hurt, that's your livelihood. You are out of action. Yeah. And the, the most important thing is that the horse quietly stands so that A, you're safe and B, you can do a good job. Because if the horse is dancing around and pulling its leg out from your hands and fussing, you can't do a good job. You're just trying to get it done. Right. Um, and so, you know, Surefoot's not going to solve every problem. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that. But, you know, that was just the case. The, the, in the majority of cases, what we keep saying is that when we offer comfort to the horse so that the horse can stand, the behaviors go away and the horse goes, thank you. Like, wow, you know, that was really difficult for me. And you just made my life better. They didn't use those words, but it's an action, right? They can stand and they can let you hold the foot as long as you need to. Um, or maybe you have to put it down because, you know, they're uncomfortable. But we have, I don't, I don't even know how many hoof care providers now are using Surefoot. Ida Hammer, Daisy Dicking, um, Bob Balker is a big fan. Not that he's shoeing horses or trimming horses. You know, I mean... In Europe, in the United States, in, in Australia, we have hoof care providers using foot to bring comfort to make everybody safer. 
and kind of a little aside from that, um, Dr. Deb Taylor, Ida Hammer went down to Dr. Deb Taylor's and they were going to do form a hoof on a hoof and they trimmed the foot and then they put the foot on the physio pad and they watched the coronet band go from slightly curved to straight. And when they took the horse off the physio pad, the coronet band was still straight and then they form a hoof the horse. So, you know, I don't have enough data on that at this point, but it can be uh, a possibility to use the physical pad during the trim to allow the hoof to make its changes on its own, which then improve before we do another treatment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And as you're talking about that, you know, because I've been experimenting with it too and using it on, I mean, this week I probably saw, you know, I probably used it on more than half the horses that I saw, just kind of experimenting with it and seeing, you know, how it changed, how they stood, or, you know, I guess we'll see over the next few cycles what other changes I see. But I have noticed it has helped a lot of horses stand better. And I wasn't sure if that was just a comfort thing, like, oh, it's a softer surface to stand on. But I guess, you know, this kind of leads into my next question is, you know, the horse is obviously receiving a lot of information from their feet. You know, that's their contact to the ground. It's um, their proprioception in movement. So how does that information that they're receiving from their feet affect their body? I don't know if you have a, an answer for that. Oh, yeah. Well, okay. So this is a great question. How does surefoot work? <laughs> I think what you're asking. And to be honest, I'm going to start by saying I don't know, but I will tell you what I do now. Because this is my has been my question from day one, from May 2012 till now. Um, and the bottom line is that we don't have, we, there are people starting to do research on Surefoot, but we, we can only kind of guess from what we know about how it's working as opposed to, I can't tell you definitively this is what it's doing, okay? But, and it's also the reason why I have now done 130 webinars with Wendy since the pandemic started to try to get information about how Surefoot is affecting horses. So um, it's something that's a passion of mine to figure out, and I'm not sure I'll ever have a concrete answer, but this is where I'm at today. You know, Bob Balker was one of the first persons I called when I, when I started doing this. I said, Bob, what's going on? And bottom line, the hoof is a sensory organ, okay? Meaning that it has all kinds of receptors, mechanoreceptors, nociceptors, proprioceptors, you know, pressure sensors, vibra- vibratory sensors, graphenes, you know, all this stuff. So it is a sensory organ, just like your eyes, your ears, your nose. And it is perceiving information in its relationship to the ground. We also have fascia, we have ligaments and tendons, we have blood flow, you know. So it, it's this super rich, the hoof is a super rich environment of picking up information. And so when we put a horse on a pad, we are directly influencing that sensory organ, the hoof. Whether it's through changes in fascia, we see changes in fascia. You put horses on pads. In fact, Dr. Martina Neerhart has done two webinars on the changes we see in the fascia because I've seen fascia curl and wrinkle and I've seen fascia relax when they're on pads. We see changes in the autonomic nervous system. This is one of the big ones that you'll see breathing changes in three to 10 seconds. You'll see eye blinking, head lowering, ear softening, face softening, muscles relaxing, licking, chewing, sighing, all these signs of parasympathetic response, which is going to be really great for when you're working on a horse. You don't want them in sympathetic. From some of Bob's work, we can guess that there may be a change in blood flow, although we don't have any data on that. 
So, you know, we're, we're directly affecting the sensory organ and putting in information that is influencing the entire system. And when we're doing surefoot in the way of awareness and reorganizing, like when we use the regular pads, the rectangles 10 by 12 by 2, you'll see horses swaying, sighing, you know, shifting. And when they walk off, they move different. I mean, they move entirely different. I've seen horses in change in 15 minutes, and it's mind-blowing that you can see that amount of change in movement in that short a period of time. What it tells me is they're just waiting for us to give them an opportunity. And, you know, one of my big questions was, well, why, why, you know, we spend thousands of dollars on good footing. Just imagine, you know, when you go into some of these arenas and you look at their footing and what they've spent on it. And I come along with my little foam pad and I make more change than that really expensive footing. I cannot explain that. I don't understand it. I can't explain it, but I see it over and over again. So, you know, that's my best guess. With the sensory organ, we're inputting new information or rebooting the system is another way I think about it because I see restoration of movement. But, you know, beyond that, I, I can't tell you exactly how this is working. You know, you mentioned people spend a ton of money on footing and these pads seem to give the horse more information than like the footing that they're moving on all the time. So what makes these pads different from like, you know, any kind of gym mat or balance mat that you could get and, you know, stick under your horse's foot? Yeah, no, I, I get it. You know, and, uh, and people ask me that all the time. You know, what makes your foot pads different? That's, I, I get it. Um, first of all, we use super high grade materials and the material in the physio pad and the hard pad and hard slant is the highest rated impact foam on the market. And it's a foam that we, you can only get through our supplier. They have the formula. So it's the highest impact foam on the market. And, you know, what I have seen with that pad with people and horses is it's so fascinating because um, I had a woman who had a headache and she'd had a headache from a riding accident for two weeks. And I put her on the physio pad and her headache instantly went away. And she went home that night and she slept deeply that afternoon and deeply that night. And when I saw her two weeks later, she was fine. You know, somebody else has put a, somebody on a, on a physio pad and they went from basically, you know, a hump back to straight. We didn't tell them, to, the woman didn't tell them to stand straight. They just put them on the physio pad and they straightened up. Um, when I, two years ago, had surgery on, I had to have surgery because I'd grown a bone spur where I had all this previous surgery in 84. And when they got in, they found out that glute medius only had 25% of the tendon attachment. So they put in two screws and they stitched up into the tendon and reattached glute medius. I could not stand on my left leg for three weeks until I was washing my physio pad. And when I was washing and I was like, because I was going to travel and I needed to clean it up before I put it on a plane. Um, I was washing and I thought, I wonder if I could stand on that if that would help. And I threw it on the floor. And I stepped on it, and I could stand on my left leg for 15 seconds without holding on. And I'd step on the floor, I couldn't do it. And I'd step on the pad, and I could do it. There's something about that. And we've gone through over 3,000 different types of foam to come up with the ones that we're using. Like, I went through a lot of stuff and rejected, you know, well, we have four different foams. So I rejected 2,996. <laughs> um, but we went through a lot of materials to come up with the ones that we're using. Um, some of them are medical grade. That one is, a, is the highest impact foam on the market. So, you know, we, we're just finding that 
there's something about that impact home. And this is where I am at this point. I could change my thoughts in tomorrow, but where I am at this point is I, the, I think the impact home is able to take the hit. It's able to, you know, in some cases I see it take the trauma, right? And allow the, the body to organize around that in a way that feels stable and secure. I don't, I, you know, I don't know if that helps, but all of our products are warranted against delamination breakage. So, you know, like, it's not like you're buying a pad every day. You're, you know, you're buying a pad and, you know, it's going to get nicks and tears and cuts. These pads are tough. They're going to get beaten up and they'll keep on working. So, yeah, I mean, I've spent a lot of time in R&D on these things. Um, I've tested them. I know they work. I stand by them. And, um, you know, I can't explain some of the results that we see with our products. I just know they do work, that they work. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm seeing it too with even just like the short amount of time I've had to play with them. So it's really cool. Um, another question that somebody was wondering is, and you would, you had touched upon it in one of your answers. So how does, how does using these pads statically? So like when the horses are standing still and they're standing on them for, you know, however long they decide to, how does that then affect their movement right after? Like you said that they can walk off and move differently instantly and yeah and and i wish i knew the answer to that one i I mean this is what's so mind-blowing because the first horse how i just you know like um i was talking to joyce and i had a horse that was compromised in the right hand leg from the saddle we switched the saddle back in the lesson the horse was still compromised short in the right hand leg i went home that night talked to dr Harmon. i was like she wanted a standard, a computer instead of sit. She talked about standing on pads. She told me about how they were putting dogs on pads, and that's how it all started. So I grabbed something on my shed. I drove to the lesson. I trained it for 15 seconds, and that horse walked off different. And in an hour of just messing around with only his back feet, the horse was moving completely different. I cannot explain that. I wish I could. But I just had a horse at a workshop two weeks ago. His name was Lars, and he was an uh, Amish driving horse. He's like 18 hands, and his neck was straight up and he looked like a giraffe because his rear end sat lower than his withers, which sat lower than his head. So he was like, she has actually came off of him just because she slid off of him one time. The woman had had this horse for three months and this is how he was just fox hunting him. And he was my demo horse for the workshop. I put a pad, a hard pad, which is the two inches of the hard material under each foot. I did it a couple of times, then both front feet, he stood quiet. So I let him stay. And he probably stood there for about five minutes. And when he walked off, his neck was down. And the next day when he came in the arena, his neck was down. And he was reaching into the contact. That was one one session, you know, I don't know, 20 minutes. And the next day he's totally different. And the owner was just, and this was in front of an, this wasn't like just privately. I had, you know, 12, 13 equine professional body workers there watching, you know, and so I, I, I don't know. <laughs> it's yeah. really, it's taken over my life because I don't, but you know, okay. So, so guesses, what are my guesses? The horse has a huge cerebellum. Balance and movement are imperative to his survival. He's born with a program and he grows up and he's moving it in the field. And hopefully he's a foal that gets to run around with other foals. And so he's moving. And then we come along and we, teach him how to drive and put an overcheck on him or, you know, put him in shoes that may or may not be a good trim. And then I think that all of this stuff is kind of like magazines piling up in the living room. 
and they pile up and pile up and pile up and they cover up the the floor they cover up the the original programming and in those cases i mean literally that we're in five minutes completely changed i think it's like surefoot comes in and just sweeps away all the magazines and resets back to the floor because i've seen it so many times i've seen crazy things where horses just you know went from twisting their heads totally sideways and in one 40-minute session of standing on pads and walk trot canter in between perfectly straight next day perfectly straight never went back so you know there's there's something in humans and people i mean i've taught riding for over 30 years and i work with people to help them change habits and i get like i can't do that that's slouchy i can't sit up like i can't that doesn't feel right you know i get all this story and horses can't do that they don't have the brain to do that they're they're it's just not there they don't have the frontal lobe so when they're presented with something that feels better or maybe triggers an old memory, they just go right to it. As long as there isn't, a, you know, like if there's pain, if there's acute issues and stuff, of course they're not going to be able to maintain it. And not all horses make that kind of change in that short a period of time. I think it has a lot to do with when did the insult happen, you know, what has happened in between then and now but Lars was a driving horse for years in Amish country and he just changed so I I can't explain that I I wish I could yeah and I think I mean so I got into hoof care because my horse had soundness issues and I think a lot of people get into you know various aspects of rehab because they're dealing with a horse that has soundness issues obviously it would be nice to prevent that from getting to that point where you know a horse has outright breakdown of their movement. I don't know if you have any, you know, ideas of subtle things to look for that might show that a horse is in some form of discomfort and you need to intervene sooner rather than later before it becomes a bigger problem. Cause I think a lot of people just wait until there's actually an issue that they're struggling with. Do you know what I mean? Well, it's so difficult sometimes, you know, because like so often, the owner recognizes something's not quite right. And then they call the vet or the farrier and, and they're like, you know, you can't see it or feel it because it's really subtle. But you have to trust your gut. And Dr. Hillary Clayton always said that the first sign is a loss of suspension. So that's a problem with a gated horse because there is no suspension. But with a three-gated horse, the first sign is loss of suspension. So you're like, my horse feels a little flat. That's the first sign. You know, horse owners typically know their horses really well, and they know what their horse feels like normally. And so they recognize something's not quite right. But the question is, what? It's not always easy to figure out. I mean, where I live, Lyme disease is rampant. You know, limey horses can feel flat and dull or woody or, you know, and you're like, oh, my horse doesn't feel right. Then you kind of go to your vet, you know, my horse doesn't feel right. Well, you know, we we do some flexions, we'll do this and that. But it's the the subtle, tiny little things and we start to pick them up. And the thing is, it's really important to trust your vet. If you feel like your horse isn't right, most likely he's not right because you know your horse. But then it's a question of figuring it out. And, you know, Surefoot can be helpful in that way too because I've watched a lot of horses and I've put them on pads and, you know, it's like, okay, if it's – not getting better or sometimes it actually gets worse. And I had one horse, we were doing the lameness locator with him and 
the horse was lame and we put him on pads and the horse got worse and the vet went, oh, soft tissue injury. <laughs> you know, it really uh-huh. helped him with his diagnostics. Yeah, I was like, whoa, that was fascinating. You know, if you see like your horse standing on surefoot pads and he has a regular pattern and then one day, like, nope, I don't want to do it. Oh, that's a big clue. That's a big clue. We'll see horses. But I, I was doing a demo with one horse and she had been my perfect demo horse for videos like a few months before. And then that day she was like, nope, I will not stand on your pads. I'm like, okay, I need another horse. But then the chiropractor came and went, oh, yeah, she's out here and here. You know, she needs an adjustment. And then she was fine again. So I'm not saying that Surefoot's going to tell you exactly what's going on. But if you know your horse, you know, and if you're using Surefoot with your horse regularly and you see how they stand and then one day it's like that's not happening or they want something else, it could be a, a positive thing that they've improved. And now, you know, it depends on what you're seeing in front of you. Or it could be that you need to think, well, what happened? I overworked my horse yesterday. Oh, yeah, I did that hill work and... But he's not so comfy. Yeah. And something that I come across a lot, I'll come to horses and, and notice or I'll have x-rays on horses, is that I think affects, like seriously affects their movement, is I see a lot of horses with um, negative plantar angles, which, I mean, the hind feet. And yeah. I've had, when I asked some of those hoof care friends what they wanted me to discuss with you, I had like, multiple people ask about NPA. And... You know, because we as hoof care providers, there's only so much we can do to the feet. Like if there's not a lot of sole depth, we can't just, you know, chop off the toe and get them to have a positive angle. Um, you know, we can try to like, you know, increase the height at the heel through, you know, wedges or whatever. But ultimately, it seems like we're chasing after a symptom. Like there must be some sort of cause or issue. I usually think there's something going on higher up, but I don't know if you've come across horses that have NPA and, you know, seen or had success with them or, or seen your pads work with those horses. So I'm, I'm going to tell you what I know, cause I'm not a farrier. I'm not a, a trimmer. I do trim my own horses, but you know, uh, I'm just a horse owner trimming my own horses. Um, and I, I've been trying to figure out this hook thing for a long time, and I, that's why I have so many hoof care practitioners on my webinars because I'm still trying to figure it out. So I'm in the process of learning, um, and, and I just want to, you know, that's my sort of disclaimer here. What I know is that when I put a person on our slant pads, so we have hard slants and firm slants, and I, I like the hard slants because they're going to hold the angle more than the firm slants that they're going to give them. Okay, but that's just the, sometimes it's appropriate to use hard and sometimes firm. But when I use the slant, so they're three inches at the back and they go down to nothing at the front. And I put a person on them heel high and I have them soften their knees because we can lock our stifles in a way that horses can't. So I have them soften their knees. Everybody reports to me that their lower back feels better. Hmm. And when I put, when we, we have pads for dogs. And when we put the dogs on the slant pad, heel high, the massage therapists that have been working with it report that the psoas muscles, Soften. So it would seem to me that some of this um, NPS, <laughs> I get the language down. I would, in my humble opinion, agree that there's something going on higher up. And it could be, you know, a saddle issue back. You know, there's a lot of things that can be needing attention. Um, but what I also find is that when I put horses on slant pads, feel high, they like it a lot. And if I could conjecture from what I know in people and dogs, 
is it possible that we're going to relieve, alleviate some lower back discomfort, uh, you know, alleviate some psoas tension? The, the thing is, there's no way you can feel that, or I can't feel that on a horse. The psoas is way, way, way deep. There's a lot of body. So I can't palpate a psoas muscle. I'm not trained to do that. I don't know. Maybe somebody else can. But I do know that we see positive results. And Dr. Rachel Bellini has done an entire webinar on using the slant pads with horses. She's a, uh, a veterinarian who's a holistic veterinarian, and she uses Surefoot as part of her treatment. And so we do see that. And I think that if you're chasing something like NPA and you're, you're doing all that you know how to do as a hoof care provider and you're not seeing an improvement, clearly there's got to be some other cause. And, you know, for me, the first thing I would think about is back pain, pelvic pain, anything there, because you watch people and what do they do? They start to stand and try to, you know, find a way to make their back feel better and they do all kinds of odd things, right? Straighten their knees, go back behind the knee and which would drive your heel down. And so for me as a, you know, understanding uh, function in people and what I've seen in dogs and people, I would think that that would be helpful. And when I say helpful, you know, that's something that the owner needs to be doing with their horse because you coming in one time every four or six weeks and doing that isn't going to be enough. But that's where if we can get the owners to start using Surefoot in between the visits, and we've seen this with other many horses, then we, we keep the positive cycle going. We keep offering the system a reset. We keep providing it other information. And hopefully we can kick the thing into a positive spiral where you start to gain on the thing and on the problem instead of, you know, continually just coming back and it's the same thing over and over no matter what you do. Because if what you're doing isn't making a difference, then there's got to be something else causing it or another at least big chunk of the puzzle that hasn't been addressed. Yeah. In my humble opinion. Yeah. And actually that, that sort of like leads into my next question is, you know, if we're using this when we're going to work on the horses, how can we use it to influence what we're doing to the horse in terms of our trimming or shoeing? We had a vet put a pad on top of their x-ray block and take an x-ray. And they sent us the picture of the horse on the regular block and then on the block with the physio pad on top. And what was so amazing was that on the regular block, you couldn't tell how much weight was being distributed or where it was on the foot. But when they were on the physio pad, you could see that the heel was way high and that the weight was on the toe. In other words, you could see the, the loading, the way the foot was take, taking the weight which you could not see on a regular block because on a regular block, the foot is flat, right? But you can't see how much weight is on the foot and you can't see where the weight is. But with the physio pad, it deformed. And so you could see this horse was standing mostly on his toe and not on his heel. It's like, oh, wait a second. This horse is only standing on his left front foot. He's really not weighting his right front foot at all. You know, so yeah. So when, so we're actually making a, an x-ray block. We're going to call it the physiograph block, which is going to be, physiopad on top of an x-ray block so that you can see this. But um, in, in just everyday use, yeah, I mean, you can use the pads to look at the impression of the foot. Now, do I take one impression and base all of my, my thoughts around it? No. I might walk the horse off and come back and do it again because what I do know is I've seen horses in 15 minutes of just, you know, stand on a pad for 30 seconds, go for a walk, come back, stand on a pad. In 15 minutes, the way they load the foot is completely different. 
I've seen it change dramatically. Is it good information? Absolutely. Is it also, in a way, causing a change? Yes. So, like down at Dr. Taylor's, they trimmed the horse, put him on the physio pad, took him off the physio pad, and the foot was in a different shape than before. It somehow allowed that foot to find a different level, and then they formed a the hoof. So, you know, obviously, you can't spend your whole time trimming your horse and putting it on a pad and doing a little trim and putting that obviously you'd never get done right <laughs> but at, as a tool the more insight we have the more sort of it's it, and i always think about does the piece of information fit what i already know or is it so out of the box that i have to like go wait a second this is right but does it help give me a little more information because you get to see the way the weight is coming down on that foot because it makes an impression on the pad and when the horse steps off you know, I think of it like a clock and I can see, oh, look, there's a lot of pressure at three o'clock or, oh, you know, back here at five. Or um, it gives me another view, another piece of information. Now, I actually have to look at the foot, right, and say, does this fit with what I'm seeing with my eyes? And the reason I say that is because Dr. Herman had the computer pressure pad, which we used to use to look at pressures on the horse's back from the saddle, right? But you still have to look at the saddle. So you look at the computer image and you see, oh, there's high pressure, but you have to look at the saddle and go, oh, wait, the saddle's dropping off to the right. That's why the pressure's on the left, you know? So it's another piece of information. It's another piece of data. And it may also influence the horse to start changing the way the horse is standing on his feet into a better pattern. Into That's why, like, having people use it in between is so handy because we're constantly giving the horse an opportunity to become self-aware, reorganize, rebalance, find another stance that's more functional, that's greater ease. And, and what do horses do? They seek ease. So if something feels better, that's what they're going to go towards, right? We as humans override that all the time. Oh, this is easier. No, I can't do that. My mother said I have to do it the hard way. <laughs> but horses don't do that. If it feels better for them, they're going to go that way. Yeah. So, you know, for somebody who might not have any of the pads and they're trying to figure out like this, you know, sounds all really great. Um, but where to start? Cause I know you have so many different kinds. Okay. So, uh, we do, we have the standard pads, the 10 by 12 by two, the rectangles come in packed in pairs and we have six different ones. So we have four densities, hard, firm, medium, and soft, and then two styles, slant or flat. And the slants are only coming in hard and firm because when you get into the other materials, it, it, it just won't maintain a slant, right? So four densities, two styles. Oh, and you can flip three of them over until you have another surface. But if you're a trimmer, what you want to do is offer the horse comfort. And so I tell people, you know, just start with a half to go pad. Start with something simple. See what happens. You know, the, the difference between a half physio pad and a full physio pad is dimension. So half physio pad is 16 by 12 by an inch and a half, and a full physio pad is 24 by 16 by. So it's just twice as big, right? Um, you can put two feet on a full physio pad. But I tell people, you know, just, just start with a half physio pad. See what your horse does. What do you got to lose? You've got a lot to gain. You don't have a lot to lose. And the thing about the half physio pad, which just think about you when you start to worry and then you build it up in your brain, if we can alleviate some of that, 
by triggering some neurochemicals, which obviously we see neurochemical release because that's all the parasympathetic signs that we see, the lifting, chewing, sighing, breathing, right? If we can elicit that in the horse, it's at least going to make the horse more comfortable. And, and, and if the horse doesn't want it, they won't stand on it, okay? It's not about forcing them. It's about offering to them. Would you like to stand on this? So we think of it as kind of our little emergency pad, you know? And like I said, we put people on it and seen headaches go away and uh, postural changes and what do you have to lose? You know, a non-invasive way to help the horse. And I think that, you know, when we look at the benefits involved, it's not going to work for every horse. Nothing does. I'm, I will not make promise that it's going to you know, magically transform your horse. I just know that it's made a significant. Otherwise, <laughs> my life has been totally taken over by this. Thing. And it's the horses that drive it because if I listened to the people that told me, what, you know, you're crazy and blah, 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 um, I wouldn't be doing this. But I listened to the horses. And the horse after horse after horse tells me, oh, so cool. And I think I could, I mean, I could ask you questions, I think, all day, because it's just, it's so fascinating to me. And now I'm, I'm so new to it that I have so many questions, but um, I think that, you know, this is a really, really good start. And um, I'm really thankful that you were willing to hop on this phone call. Um, but Oh, yeah, I, I'll always come back, you know, anytime you want to, I, I, obviously, you know, I can yak forever. So, <laughs> oh, me too. So I totally get it. <laughs> Okay, thanks a lot. All right, great. Have a great rest of your day. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. I always say that I'm slightly more hoof obsessed than the average person. And chances are, if you're listening to a hoof care podcast, you are too. So we should probably be friends. Feel free to find me on Facebook or email me at thehumblehoof at gmail.com.